0: Strong Opinion Sports is powered by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports episode 575. Welcome in. This is my second episode recording today. Uh, recorded the episode 574 predictions round two, the final predictions this morning. And the beautiful thing about living in Hawaii is that primetime NFL football is on at 2 p.m. So two o'clock in the afternoon, I watched the game. Here we are still evening. It's barely sunset. I'm recording another episode today. It's awesome. I'm really excited. What a dang game. You guys, first of all, the Lions won. It was amazing. I loved it. Second of all, I'm so glad football's finally here. Like, no more speculation, no more talking about rumors. As much as I enjoy making predictions, I also kind of hate it. I kind of hate speculating and talking about ideas and theories. I'm so excited. I am so dang grateful to talk about real, actual football. Hallelujah. I love it. It's amazing. Today, we're going to talk about Kansas City and Detroit We're going to do, I'm I'm making an executive decision. I don't know if it's a good one or not, but I'm going to do Patreon questions in the middle of today's show. Then we will end with a weekend preview at the end of the show, talking about college football and the NFL games this weekend. It's going to be an incredible weekend of football. And the best thing about recording tonight, Thursday night, my time, you'll hear this on Friday, is that it leaves all day tomorrow wide open for me, Zach, to edit and record A film analysis video I've been working on for a long time. I've been very worried I would run out of time. Like, I've been—I had a massive idea, and I always have—you know, I I have a grand plan that never works because I'm too ambitious. But I think I'm going to be able to get one—one tiny little film analysis video out before the NFL season starts. And, uh, you guys, it'll be really awesome. I can't wait. Um— and I have all day tomorrow to work on it because I'm recording this now. That's amazing. Now, let's get into Kansas City and Detroit. But before we do that, before we do that, we got to pay the bills. So roll the ad now. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. On top of that, all customers who bet $5 will also get $100 off of NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. I use YouTube TV. It's great. That's literally how I watch all of my football. I highly recommend it. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston. That is FanDuel.com Boston. And kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Now you must be 21 years or older and present in Massachusetts for this to apply. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call one 800 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start, gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The NFL Sunday ticket offer ends on September 18th, 2023. There are no refunds and terms and embargoes apply. $100 off of NFL Sunday ticket. That is not $100 off of YouTube TV. The YouTube TV base plan is required to watch YouTube TV. Sunday Ticket is an add-on on on top of that. You get $100 off of NFL Sunday Ticket, the YouTube TV add-on. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use is excluded. Subscription renews. Cancel anytime. All right, let's talk about the NFL season opener. It was, oh my gosh, you guys, it was so much fun to watch. It was tense. It was Honestly, it made my stomach kind of gurgle. It was difficult. I was rooting hard for the Lions and I at many points thought they weren't going to win. Here's what happened. The Detroit Lions beat Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City on the road in a tough environment. The Lions won 21 to 20. This is a massive, massive victory for Detroit. A great way to start the year. They can build momentum. Um, you know, a couple years ago, I watched the Cleveland Browns win a playoff game with Baker Mayfield and I was like, oh, it's so amazing to see a team that's been so bad for so long, do well and win a playoff game. It was amazing. And then my focus shifted from Cleveland to Detroit. Now, can we get Detroit to win a playoff game? This felt like a great start to potentially doing that this year. Their offensive line looked really good. Their defensive line looked really good. It's a massive, massive victory. And it's a moment where it's like, ah. This is the beginning of something potentially really cool going on in Detroit. Now, I want to talk about their number 12 overall pick, running back, first round pick, rookie Jameer Gibbs. He, you know, played in his first NFL game. He was okay. Jameer Gibbs had seven carries for 42 yards. He caught two passes for 18 yards. But what we really learned watching this football game is that David Montgomery is the number one running back. In Detroit. He had 21 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown. And uh he might be the number one back all year. We'll wait and see. I thought Jameer Gibbs showed he's not really ready yet. He had a nice play in open space. Um, he's very quick. He's gonna be kind of there, you know, receiving back. And again, if you can get him in open space, he's so fast. I think he can make big plays. But two times in this football game, he bounced a run outside where he should have just stayed inside and hit it inside and I thought he misread the blocks and, um, you know, didn't do what they were looking for. And so it really showed David Montgomery is the number one back in Detroit until proven otherwise. And I'm hoping Jameer Gibbs can become a star and amazing and a weapon in Detroit. But we didn't see a lot of that in game number one. Uh, Now, the two rookies from Iowa played very well for Detroit. Tight end Sam Laporta had five catches for 39 yards. He looked reliable, had good hands. He blocked really well. Uh, Rookie linebacker Jack Campbell, first-round pick, had two tackles. He had a nice play in coverage where he dove to knock down the ball over the middle, made a great play there. Um, You know, the thing that really stands out, though, is Jared Goff, the Lions quarterback. He made a couple of really big, important throws in big moments on third down. He's a great decision-maker. Jared Goff, I think, is going to have a wonderful year, and I trust him. He looks different, looks more confident than ever. One thing that does kind of kill me watching Jared Goff, I have to say it, his style of play is old school, uh, putting it as nicely as I can. He doesn't have the ability to run the ball. That's just not part of his game. And so many quarterbacks now in today's NFL can run, even when you need to run for 10 yards, they do. And Jared Goff just isn't that guy. There was a play fourth and two late in the game. There was a massive lane to step up and run the ball. And that's just not a part of Jared Goff's game. He doesn't do it. That's not what he does. And to me, that's a limitation because there's a lot of other quarterbacks, both in college coming to the NFL next year and around the NFL that fourth and two in that moment, they just run for 10 yards and get a first down. That's not part of Jared Goff's game. And it's a little thing, but it does feel like a subtle limitation that, um, you know, man, like they would be so much better if Jared Goff could just run a little bit and make a play here and there when he needed to. That's just not part of his game, and um, it does feel like a slight limitation. Now, Amundra St. Brown is worth talking about. He is the, I guess, number one receiver in Detroit. He had six catches for 71 yards and a touchdown. Watching him really reminds me of Jared Goff's former teammate in L.A., Cooper Cup. He can play in the slot. He can win outside. He's electrifying. He had the first touchdown of the year in the NFL, and he was awesome. Now, the story of the game. First of all, Detroit was great. Great win for them. I worry people are going to poo-poo the win and say, well, you know, Kansas City didn't have their star defensive tackle. They didn't have their tight end. Sure, but let's just acknowledge, let's give credit where it's due. Detroit played really well. It's a big win for them. A lot of Lions teams I've watched in the past would not have been able to make that at the end and, and win that football game. And they did a couple big things. They had some big stops. They went for it. Gosh, they went for a fourth and two fake punt on their own 19-yard, I guess, own 17-yard line. I mean, inside their own 20-yard line early in the game, they ran a fake punt on fourth and two, and I was like, I cannot believe that call. They took it very seriously. They went for the fourth down a couple times. If you're going to beat Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, you have to acknowledge the juggernaut you're going up against and take risks to beat them. They did that all-around great game for Detroit. Now, Detroit aside... I still think the story of the game is that Travis Kelsey, the star tight end for Kansas City, did not play. He was on the sideline watching with an injury he got in practice. And uh, it hurt Kansas City. It hurt them a lot. Uh, The receiving core was already a concern, even with Travis Kelsey. You know, they've got a lot of young guys. The two guys I wanted to see step up were Kadarius Toney and Sky Moore they were not only not really existent, I mean, Skymore was non-existent in this football game. Kadarius Tony was a massive problem. We'll talk about it in a second. Now, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had two catches for 48 yards. Listen to the other names who caught passes for Kansas City in this football game. Justin Watson, Noah Gray, Rasheed Rice, Richie James, Justin Ross, Blake Bell. A lot of guys that a casual football fan has probably never heard of. And it was a tense close game. At halftime, I mean, I was sweating. I, I'm just going to be honest here. I wanted to see Detroit win this football game. I thought it'd be a really cool moment for them. And I predicted them to win. So I'm sweating bullets at halftime. Kansas City had a 14-7 lead. Right before halftime, Patrick Mahomes put together this ridiculous drive to score to give them that 14-7 lead. I also knew, hey, they're going to get the ball to start the third quarter. And I'm like oh my gosh, Patrick Mahomes, um, it doesn't really matter. And here's a note. This is exactly word for word what I wrote in my notes right around halftime. I said, I'm becoming convinced Patrick Mahomes can win no matter who he plays with. Now, turns out that's not true. But in the first half, Patrick Mahomes was making play after play. I mean, over and over again, Detroit's defense would make a great call, play great coverage, do everything right. And Patrick Mahomes just kept running around and finding passing lanes and kind of breaking the game of football where it's like playing chess, you do everything right, and you still lose. You're like, well, (laughs) we called the right play call, we played great coverage, and they still drove down the field and got a touchdown. In the second half, though, things slowed down and two guys really stand out. Sky Moore, I don't think had a bad game, but he was non-existent. He had zero catches on three targets. That's not great. But the number one problem in Kansas City, other than simply just not having Travis Kelsey, the number one problem was Kadarius Toney, a former first-round pick from the Giants who didn't work out there. I would imagine watching this game, Giants fans felt really vindicated. They're like, oh, that's why we got rid of that guy. He was targeted five times, had only one catch for one yard. And uh, more importantly hit a couple really, really devastating drops. Uh, in the third quarter, Patrick Mahomes threw a pass to Kadarius Toney. Perfect ball, right location, right in his hands. It bounces off of Kadarius Tony's hands. Should have been a catch. Instead, bounces up in the air, caught by Brian Branch, the Detroit Lions corner, and taken for a touchdown, a pick six. And you're like, wow, that's how we're going to tie this game? A drop from Kadarius Toney? And then later on, at the end of the game, in big moments, uh, in crucial, critical drives... Kadarius Tony had drops where he was wide open and didn't deliver, didn't make a catch. Um, I would say really let his team down. I don't know they're going to cut him, but it's like, man, if we find out tomorrow Kadarius Toney is cut from the Kansas City Chiefs, I'd be like, not shocked. I'd be surprised because I, I would think they're going to keep investing in him. There's a reason they brought him in. There's a reason they kept him all through training camp. He made the 53-man roster. They see something in Kadarius Toney, but... Man, his confidence is destroyed. He had a couple really, really bad, awful drops where he was wide open, including one that went for a pick six. And, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes was playing really, really well, running around, extending plays, making big time throws. And unfortunately, he wasn't getting help from his receiving core. Most notably, wasn't getting help from Kadarius Toney. That was the number one difference maker in this game. The reason why the Lions won is because... Patrick Mahomes did what he had to do, but his receivers didn't step up and make plays when they needed to. Most importantly, Kadarius Toney, because he was the number one guy. Like, a couple of guys had some big catches. Rasheed Rice had his first ever NFL touchdown as a rookie out of SMU. Like, some guys did some good stuff. Guys, Justin Watson made a couple big catches. You're like, who? But it was awesome. And he's been there for a while. If you know the Chiefs, you know Justin Watson. But um, Kadarius Tony was the one that stands out as he got targeted in big moments And not only didn't deliver, he he fell apart. I mean, it was really, really embarrassing. Uh, Another thing that was notable, though, in Kansas City, something I think you should watch for next week, Chiefs right tackle, Jawan Taylor. Uh, This is a big thing. If you watch football and you watch this game, you were like, hey, isn't the right tackle false starting like literally every play? He did a couple things. A, he's flinching a bunch. He's leaving early. Wasn't really called till the end of the game on a key 4th and 20, made it 4th and 25. Um, But more importantly is that when Kansas City was throwing the football, Juwan Taylor lined up differently than when they were running the football. When they're passing the football, he's way back in his stance. His right leg is way back, basically already halfway, ready to catch a defender in a pass block set. And A, that's not legal, and it's a huge advantage when pass blocking. But B, what I find interesting is not the fact that it wasn't called for a penalty the entire game, and it's actually, by the way, possible next week the refs don't allow that and say, yeah, 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 you can't do that. We're going to call you unless you line up correctly every time. We're going to call that a penalty. Uh, But more importantly is that when Kansas City runs the football, he lines up squarely and closer to the line. It's a key tell. If you're a defense playing against Kansas City, you're like, They're going to run the football. Look at the right tackle. Maybe they clean things up. Maybe they talk about it in the film room. But when you watch this game, every time Jawan Taylor's got his right foot way back and he's way off the line, by the way, in an illegal stance, but I, I don't want to have that argument right now, it's a tell to the defense they're throwing the football. When he lines up square and fully on the line, they're running the football. If that's a thing that continues, it's a massive advantage to the defense where they're tipping their cap and saying, we're throwing the football. Maybe it doesn't matter. Patrick Holmes is incredible. He might be able to get away with that. But it is certainly a tell. And uh, we'll see if that continues the rest of the year. So did you watch the game? I watched it. I, uh, I picked Detroit to win. So I was sweating bullets, right? They barely won that game. It was not a clean game. I thought Detroit could have played better at times. But what really matters is they won. And the Lions beat Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. That's an amazing victory. I don't care how it happens. It's really cool to see. And uh, as a guy who... I'm not a Lions fan. I'm not really invested. But I want to see them win. Uh, Oh, man. It was awesome. By the way, my two running backs in fantasy are Isaiah Pacheco and Jameer Gibbs. Both of them did basically nothing today. (laughs) I I mean, I should have known that was coming. Jameer Gibbs is a rookie running back. It's going to take him some time. Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, we saw a lot of... Jarek McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, and I knew that, I, I knew Isaiah Pacheco was a bad running back number two in fantasy football. But um, it was interesting. Both of my running backs played each other and they both didn't really do anything. And it definitely is going to hurt my fantasy football team. We'll talk about it on Wednesday during the fantasy football show. Let's shift gears to Patreon questions. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Zach patreon.com slash Zach Shamler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs to pick the top couple to read on the show. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. Again, I only guarantee I look at your question I don't guarantee to pick it and read it, but I do legitimately look at everything with my eyeballs, and that leads me to question number one today. Joshua writes in and says, hey, Zach, with the Cardinals obviously tanking and more than likely ending up with a top quarterback in the draft, where is the best place for Kyler Murray to be traded to? So obviously tanking. I take a bit of umbrage with that. I think they're tanking. That's my theory. Um, and, and maybe it's obvious. I don't, I don't know, but here's the thing. If the Cardinals are terrible this year and they've got a top pick, which they've got two first round picks this year, they've got Houston's and their own, that could be two top five picks. I think you've got a good reason to trade away Kyler Murray because you can get rid of his contract. He's a guy who's been injured before. He's a smaller quarterback. He's got questions about his leadership ability. And more than that, it's just, he's expensive. And if you can bring in Caleb Williams for way less money or even Drake May on a rookie deal, um, it's going to allow you to invest money in other positions and really build a great football team and take advantage of that rookie contract. So um, it's interesting whether you decide to trade him in Arizona or build around him. If you got two top five picks and Kyler Murray, maybe you can make two really high level draft picks that help them win quicker. Um, But again... It really all depends. I don't know that you're going to trade Kyler Murray away for an insane haul because the market, there's not a lot of teams that might even want to trade for him. Like, who comes to mind that might need a quarterback next offseason? Maybe San Francisco if Brock Purdy's not great, but they're not going to trade him to a team in their own division. Maybe the Rams with Matthew Stafford, but again, not going to happen. Arizona's not going to trade Kyler Murray to a division rival. So, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins doesn't have a contract after this year. Um, maybe Tampa if Baker Mayfield doesn't play well. Maybe New England if Mac Jones underperforms. So, I've come up with the Patriots, Denver, Atlanta, and Washington as teams that have uncertainty at quarterback, and then two teams that I think might really need a quarterback Tampa has Baker Mayfield, we'll see. And Minnesota may not have Kirk Cousins in 2024. But there's not a lot of demand, I think, of the quarterback position, especially there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks in the draft. So I don't know that the Kyler Murray trade market is going to be super hyperactive and there's going to be a lot of insane offers. Like you're not going to get three first round picks for Kyler Murray. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to come down to, if anything, Minnesota bidding against maybe Tampa, maybe But if Tampa's got a top pick, why would they trade for Kyler when they could just draft a quarterback for way cheaper and get a rookie deal? So I don't know that anyone's going to want to trade for Kyler Murray, I guess is what I'm saying. And if there is one team, it might be literally one team. That's why the Raiders had a hard time trading away Derek Carr. There just wasn't a super high demand for Derek Carr. We could see a similar thing with Kyler Murray. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just not sure what to make of it. Um, I think if anywhere is a team that could need a quarterback that might trade for Kyler Murray, it's Minnesota because they're going to be a good football team, I think. Not not great and not a playoff team, but my prediction is the Minnesota Vikings are going to go 9-8. and eight. They're not going to have a top pick in the first round to go get Caleb Williams or Drake May or um, I think even Bo Nix or whoever else is out there. So they might trade for Kyler Murray to get a more sure bet at quarterback, but there's not going to be a crazy big... Trademark for Kyler Murray, I believe. Now, question number two comes from Caleb. Caleb writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I am curious if you listen to any sports podcasts, especially now that you are embarking into the addicting world of fantasy football. Um, no, I, I don't. Maybe I should, but I really... Like, I, I saw a video the other day called... I mean, I can't remember who it is. It's someone I, I know, I think I've interacted with, but it's it's a video, Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw over the middle. And I was like, ooh, maybe I should click on that. And maybe someday I will. Because I, I do have a concern, like I hesitate. What if I miss an important argument that I should listen to that would make my show better and my football knowledge better, right? I'm always trying to learn more about the game and um, have better understanding of what's going on and listening to what other people are saying. It does matter, but I also, on the other hand... I really want my show to be unique and my takes to be my takes, not anyone else's. And so like, if you ever, I get accused occasionally of copying people, but I know for a fact that's nonsense. Cause I haven't listened to any other sports content in a long, long time. I occasionally, I guess I watch Marcus Whitman occasionally, friend of the show, good friend of mine, uh, trying to support him. And I, I like what he does. And I like to talk about like when he comes on my show, I watch what he's made recently and ask him about it because it makes for better content. But I really go out of my way to not watch other sports content because, again, I don't want my opinion kind of tainted with other people's opinions also in my head. Again, if you accuse me of copying, I know it's not true because I'm just not watching other people's sports content. But I want to repeat that hesitation of mine as well. What if I'm missing – a key detail that would make my show better and, and make my audience more informed so i've always gone back and forth on that but um i don't plan on listening to other sports media anytime soon especially not in fantasy football i want to learn my own lessons in fantasy i want to build my own philosophy on how i approach fantasy football and learn things my way i don't really want to hear other people's opinions that frankly i don't respect I mean like fantasy football analysts aren't in my opinion, real football analysts, they're analyzing for a very specific thing and that's just different. And I don't I don't care. And I want to do it my way myself. I don't want anyone else's influence over me. Like when I have free time, I watch space videos on YouTube. I watch a lot of stuff. Like there's a video I watched the other day. I think Astrum is the guy's name about Pluto and how they think Pluto has an ocean under the ice and there might be life on Pluto. Like I love that kind of stuff. I'm always interested in space and other habitable planets we know about and I like I I am so sad I was born in 20 I guess 1997 because I'll never know what it's like to travel space I was born maybe 3,000 years from now we might have light speed travel and be able to do crazy stuff in space and go really long distances to other planets I'll never be able to do that that makes me really sad um my favorite podcast in the world is sacred symbols a video game podcast um I love video games I love movies I love science I love philosophy. As an enjoyer of content, I don't watch sports content. I watch sports. I watch the TV broadcasts, and um, I'm deep in the weeds doing that. I watch a lot of film. I watch a ton of football, but I don't watch sports content. Again, if I'm watching any kind of content, it's about space or philosophy or video games or movies, and and really not movies. I watch movies themselves. I don't want to watch other people talk about movies, although I myself would love to do a, a movie podcast for me. Uh, Which is part of why I don't listen to, like, uh, the guy who does Sacred Symbols does movie reviews occasionally on another show, Knockback, and I don't listen to them because I don't want his opinion tainting mine. It's that same thing. If it's a style of content I plan on making ever, I don't listen to it because I don't want this cross-pollination of what I believe uh, getting influenced by what other people are saying. So that's my long-winded answer to that. Clayton writes in, this is an amazing one. Clayton says, I was stoked to hear from last episode that you're a fellow video game enjoyer. Maybe you've mentioned it before, but I missed it. I'm a developer at a game studio, Monolith Productions. They made the Lord of the Rings game, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War before my time there. And we're working on a Wonder Woman game right now. Dude, that's so cool, Clayton. I love you forever. That's amazing. He says... You mentioned that you'd be willing to answer a question about video games, and I'm happy to oblige. What are your three to five favorite games? Doesn't have to be in order, and not necessarily what you think the quote best games are, just ones that you have the most personal connection to. I always love to hear people answer this ans- people's answer to this question, because it can vary so much from person to person based on when they started playing, what consoles they had, and what their friends or siblings played, etc., I have a ridiculously large video game collection. Off to my right, there is six totes with 13 video game consoles and them wrapped up in laptop cases or towels. Try to keep them nice, the dust out of them. Way too many games. Um, I had a list when I was on a piece of paper just like this. I had a list of games I wanted to buy from literally like nine years old. The same piece of paper crumpled and colored. And every time there was a game I wanted to buy that we were too poor to get, I would write it down. So when I got my first job in high school, I bought every game on the list. Now it's kind of a burden to have that many games to have to carry around with you every time you move and stuff. But um, I'm very proud of my collection. I love them. I have three Nintendo Wiis. All of them have the virtual console games downloaded, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, uh, Mario Kart 64, stuff like that. Super Mario 64, which got re-released on the Switch, which made my, you know, my, my horde of SD cards with them on the Wii a little less valuable. But uh, my favorite game of all time is Horizon Zero Dawn, the PlayStation exclusive. I prefer the first one. There's a tripwire feature that's a little more fun than the second one, but the second one's also amazing. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is my favorite game because it blends other games I really love. It takes the story and conversation of Mass Effect to the open world feel of tomb raider and the vibe of uh exploring and using a bow and arrow i love by the way in video games when you have a bow and arrow and then it also merges like the gameplay of doom 2016 where you're fighting these colossal massive things and it's really high-paced and so combining the gameplay the story and the, the adventure aspect makes horizon zero dawn my favorite game of all time the story is amazing i love exploring the world i love finding the collectibles i love using the bow and arrow and uh, i love fighting the giant robot dinosaurs it's literally like it's such an amazing game it's so fun and interesting the story is really good uh one of my other favorite games of all time a game i've played i've played this game probably 15 times it's it's it used to be my favorite game of all time. It's Jack and Daxter: The Precursor's Legacy, the very first Jack and Daxter game back on the PlayStation 2. Um, I, I mean, I can play that game in like a couple hours. I know it so well. I, you know, it's. I mean, it takes like probably I don't know. I have no estimation. I I can play it in a day though. Like really, I love that game that much. I know it so well. I know exactly where everything is hidden, and I really, really love 3D platformers. Actually. But Banjo-Tooie is great. I love that one. I've got it. I have an Xbox 360 here uh, in front of me, and it has three games. I I own Madden 11 because Madden 11 is the best Madden of all time. It's the only Madden I'll ever play. I own it. I have two copies on the PlayStation 3. I've also got an Xbox 360 copy of Madden 11. But the reason why I bought that 360 back when I was working at a car wash in high school, it's basically untouched and basically unused. I bought it because at the time there was no backwards compatibility with Xbox one and all that stuff. And I wanted a way to play Banjo-Tooie and Banjo-Kazooie. I got a great deal on that one. It was when a 360 was being phased out and um, I downloaded Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie because I love those games that much and preserving them and having them was that important to me. Um, I love Rage 2. It's an underrated first person shooter that is just a fun, the story's garbage, the open world's interesting, but the gameplay, the power-ups they give you Rage 2 is phenomenal. Um, I love anything from Naughty Dog, all the Uncharted games, the Last of Us games are great. Like the minute a new Naughty Dog comes out, game comes out, I just, it takes over my life. I don't have the discipline to stop playing a game like that. They just suck me in. The story's really good. Uh, another game you've probably never heard of that's really cool is Star Fox Adventure on the GameCube. It's like a Star Fox game and a Zelda game had a baby. It's weird and awesome and I love it. Um, Far Cry 3 specifically is really fun. You, I just play as a sniper. I use like, I love sniping. And if I get in trouble, he's a rocket launcher. Um, Need for Speed Heat is really fun. Specifically that one. I love upgrading my car. I, I used to play Need for Speed 510 on the PSP, but I can't even, I, I don't have my PSP. I have no idea what happened to that, honestly. And Need for Speed Heat is the only other Need for Speed game that kind of gave me that similar feeling. Need for Speed Heat and Need for Speed Carbon are similarly fun, but Heat is just a better game. Uh, Monster Hunter World is a game I got into once for way too long and Uh, it's the nerdiest game, but it's so fun. I'm rambling now, but I'll end with this. If you've got a girlfriend or someone to play video games with, uh, my girlfriend does play games with me. We do Fortnite Fridays, which is like a really special, cool thing. We, we play Fortnite together. We've got a long distance relationship. And so getting to play Fortnite with my girlfriend is like, I mean, I've got the coolest girlfriend ever. <laughs> How many guys get to play Fortnite with their girlfriend? And by the way, she's good. We get victory royales regularly because she carries me. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and then it takes two is a 3D platformer that you need two people to play. We played through that. It was amazing. Um, Hat in Time is a great 3D platformer. Those are games that mean a lot to me that I love. Um, so I, I just, I rambled. I loved it. But Clayton, great writing. You were getting Monolith, man. That's amazing. I remember when that was, when they talked about that Wonder Woman game, I was like, dude, that's going to be really cool. And I don't know if the Nemesis system from Shadow of War or Shadow of Mortar is going to be a part of that. It's really sad. They patented that and it's this really cool system from the Mordor games, but uh that system they haven't used it again. And I'd love to see maybe the the Wonder Woman game use the Nemesis system in some way. Because it's such a cool, interesting system. And I um I mean I, I guess you were not there when they made them, but the the Middle Earth games, Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor are, are also um they're like a better version of Assassin's Creed. They're stealthy and interesting and really fun. I I Oh, see, I love games and I never get an outlet to talk about it. So um, thank you to uh, who, who wrote that. in. that was uh, Clayton. Thank you, man. And uh, if you want to ask me questions, non-sports related, I will answer them. I normally I'll probably save them for the end of the show and bury them. That way sports people aren't annoyed. But I love going off on tangents. It's, it's really fun. Um, Mitch writes in. Mitch says. Zach Shomler, first of us name, caster of pods, holder of opinions, pundits of the great game of... Oh, pundit of the great game of football. That's an interesting one. gonna read that one more time. I like that. Zach Schaumler, first of his name, caster of pods, holder of opinions, pundit of the great game of football. It's like a Game of Thrones entrance. Uh, after watching the absolute beatdown of Oregon over Portland State, I was wondering, how do you or would you coach your team if you were coaching... Uh, if you were really the coach of Portland State, going into a game like that one, they just endured against Oregon... I can't imagine there is much hope of victory in such a mismatch, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. P.S. I am absolutely a Portland native and, in fact, worked two summers at Oaks Park, LOL. Um, so Oregon just beat the living tar out of Portland State 81-7, to 7, and there was even a report, like Bruce Barnum said in an interview, that one of the Portland State players had like part of his ear ripped off and had to have it stitched up and go into concussion protocol. Uh, I have never been a part of a game like that, eighty-one to seven. Little fun fact, by the way, Bruce Barnum is a head coach at Portland State. His son, Brody Barnum, was my backup when I played high school football. I, I, I love that program. He didn't recruit me probably because I was too small, and I played Camus High School and got hit really hard, and I was really sick, and I probably took a couple hits where I laid on the ground, like feeling sorry for myself. I think that was a turnoff for him. I probably looked like a wimp in that game. Um, what do you do if you're Portland State playing Oregon? You're about to lose 81 to seven. What do you do as a coach? I think you do your best to create a good game plan. Um, if you've got no chance, you got to be honest about it. You know, if you, I guess all you could tell your players is like, "Hey, we're going to use this as an opportunity to get better. You're going to get challenged. You're probably going to get beat. Let's do the best we can." Uh, I don't know that you can admit that because it's just not smart, and it, it's you're you're asking for a beatdown if you tell teams your team you're going to lose. But um, I had a coach in one game where we were outmatched, and my coach said, "If we execute at a high level, we got a great game plan here. We got to play mistake-free football and execute. And if we do that, we got a shot to win. Not we're going to win, but we got a shot to win." And at halftime. We led 17-14. to It was a really big game. Actually, it was that Camus game I was talking about. We were in it. We had them, and uh, in the second half, we didn't execute. The game got away from us, but sometimes you can steal a win even if you're outmatched against a better football team with good execution and good play design and a great game plan. It sounds like no matter what Portland State did, uh, that was not going to happen. They were just physically outmatched. And in a game like that, you got to be honest with your players. I don't even know... Like, what do you do? Like, do you you start your starters? Because that's going to give you your best shot. But then you don't want to get them hurt. But if you put in, like, the 19-year-old freshman kids, then they get hurt. You're an asshole. So I don't... It's all bad. Um, I don't know what I would do there. But honesty probably is important in that scenario. Davis writes in. Davis says, "Uh Uh-oh, Cam Ward looks good today. I want to remind everyone, Zach was the first one on the Cam Ward hype train in case big media tries to start the train Um, Washington state quarterback, Cam Ward is talented enough, talented enough that if he was at a better program, he could win the Heisman trophy. If he had more exposure and more people paying attention, uh, I think Cam Ward's talented enough to win a Heisman. When I watch him play, I see an NFL franchise quarterback. He is so good. He can run around. He can extend plays. He's got a great arm. Um... You know, I, I like you saying I was the first because I, I I was first. I really saw him um, last year. was like, this guy's amazing. He reminds me of Patrick Mahomes where he can run around and extend plays and just make the defense wrong. Even if you, as a defense, make the right play call, you play great coverage, he can run around and keep a play alive long enough to just make you wrong and kind of break the rules of football. And similar to Patrick Mahomes, I have seen Cam Ward convert some really insane – third downs where you're like, that's third and 22 and he threw a touchdown. How is that possible? That that should never happen. And he does stuff like that where he runs around and makes a big play. He's got a great arm. And uh, this weekend, Washington State will host Wisconsin in Pullman, place where I went to college, did a lot of fun stuff on the sidelines there. Uh, big opportunity for Cam Ward in this game to show what he can do. And maybe the national audience, I don't mind. I want people to know about him. It's like when We're not talking about, you know, in like your favorite band, my favorite musician is John Bellion. I love him. I want the world to see him. I don't care if he becomes mainstream because it means more money for him and I love him. I'm not one of those guys who tries to gatekeep people that I love or know about. It's the same thing with Cam Ward. I would love for ESPN to talk about him. I would love for him to become a household name because he deserves it. He is so dang good and I want to see Cam Ward get the respect he deserves, quite frankly. That would be very cool for me. Uh, to see him uh, get recognized that way. Now, SDS4800, he says, name pronunciation is SDS4800. He specifically wrote that, which means, hey, SDS, are you an AI? What, what do you mean that's your name? That's kind of, and why are you telling me how to pronounce it? Why can't I say 4,800? Why, why Why can't I? Again, are you an AI? What's happening there? Anyway, SDS4800, <laughs> Because he specifically said, you got to he or she or it, maybe it's a robot, said, you got to pronounce it that way, says, hey, Zaction, see, this might be AI. He said, hey, Zaction, what does that mean? Guys, here's a, I got to let you in on a secret. Later in the show, um, who writes in with this? Nick Flames writes in, says, what's up, Attack If you don't know what to do for a salutation, just say Attack That's what my mom called me when I was a kid, when I was like, six or seven and running around and being an insane little child, being way too loud and rambunctious. If you're not sure what to call me, call me Attack because SDS4800, our AI friend, says, hey, Zaction. <laughs> what? Maybe he was about to say, hey, Zaction, glad to see you back in action, but he didn't. He said, hey, Zaction, glad to see you back. What? What? It doesn't, the salutation could use some work there. Anyway, he says, I've been a YouTube subscriber since 2019 after watching the film analysis on the legend Ryan Fitzmagic. Thank you, Matt. By the way, I made fun of you. I appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Um, it's still an adjustment seeing episodes get sent out when I get to bed. I feel that everybody... Uh, oh, sorry. That's I need to like take a breather there. He says, now, he continues with his question. SDS4800 says, I feel that everybody has been counting the bucks out since Brady left. While I understand why... I'd like to try to play the devil's advocate for the Bucks winning the NFC South. Well, we've seen what Baker Mayfield can do with a competent team around him. In 2020, Cleveland went to win 11-5 and five and won a playoff game with Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins being his top two leading receivers. This with the caveat of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt being the two-headed monster running back. His 2021 season was derailed by an injured shoulder, and I think this was made worse by the coaches letting him go onto the field instead of taking off taking him off the active roster for a proper rest. While 2022 wasn't the best, he was playing under Matt Rule and got hurt again for half the year and then went to the Rams and had a mini revitalization that got him to Tampa in the first place. As for coaching, I agree. Todd Bowles isn't the best coach in the NFL, but in 2015, it took the Ryan Fitz mothering Patrick, uh, a ragtag receiving core and a defense, decent defense and went 11 and five and barely missed the playoffs. Go off all you want about Todd Bowles' play calling. He was basically going with whatever Byron Leftwich was feeding him since he was the main play caller of the offense. Meanwhile, Dave Canales took Russell Wilson and made him into a top 10 quarterback, then took Geno and made him the comeback player of the year. So combine Todd Bowles' defensive play calling and Canales actually having variety in his offense instead of running back gut on first down, a quarterback uh, quarterback with a chip on his shoulder and the will to prove himself He's got a wide receiver tandem that's arguably top 10 in the league, an underrated offensive line that's never given the credit it deserves, a top 10 defense when healthy, a weak division where nobody seems to want to win. The Bucs could easily win nine or 10 games and make the playoffs. Thanks for sitting through this question. Hope your day is going well. Boomer Sooner, go blue, drink to the Aggies. How can you be a Sooner fan, a Texas A&M fan, and then go big blue? Is that Michigan? You got to pick a team here, Mr. SDS4800. I appreciate your writing. You are a believer in Tampa. I hear you. You can make an argument saying the Buccaneers are going to be good. And I think you're right. It's very possible the Buccaneers are a good football team. They could win the NFC South. It's also possible they're a disaster. We just got to wait and see. So I I hear you, SDS4800. I'm just not going to commit to anything. I'm going to wait and see. I predicted they would go 6-11 and simply because I just don't know. And I'm not going to bet on them yet. But I'm rooting for them. I'd love to see Baker Mayfield do well. That would be very, very cool. Misael writes in, says, Yo, Zach, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, which explains my lack of a witty intro. By the way, you said name pronunciation, Misael. I know how to read. Like, I'm cultured, man. I, I know how to look at your name and pronounce that. I appreciate the pronunciation help, which people can always do. But, like, also... No, no, I guess you did the right thing. You you included the pronunciation parentheses, and I that's good. You should always do that with me, please, actually. I should encourage more people doing that if you want me to pronounce your name correctly. But I knew how to—I read that and was like, I don't want to say Misael. Anyway, he says, I agree that the Cardinals are tanking in the sense that they're getting rid of players that don't fit their rebuild-year plans. DeAndre Hopkins didn't want to be here, rumored, and cutting him was the best way to save cap space since no one wanted his contract. Thanks, Steve Kime. General Manager Monty Ossenfort is accumulating draft picks for next year, and hopefully they get two top five picks. I know you think some moves are tanking, but let me explain why they're not. Number one, Colt McCoy's arm was dead this training camp. I believe he injured it last year, but there were reports he wasn't doing, there were reports he was doing horrible in practice, was doing horrible in practice. The preseason games were pretty much confirming that. It also explains the Josh Dobbs move as a GM got a quarterback who's familiar with the offensive coordinator, while the fifth-round draft pick Clayton Toon develops in the system. Trading away Isaiah Simmons and Josh Jones were to accumulate more draft picks next year for players on a contract year that definitely weren't coming back. Simmons is an athletic uh, Simmons is athletic, but he was usually lost on defense. He was always playing his uh, catch-up with who he was defending. I wish him nothing but the best, though, as I wouldn't be surprised if it also... Gosh, this is so long. It's a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if it was also the previous defensive coordinator playing him incorrectly. Josh Jones is horrible at guard, okay at right tackle, and solid at left tackle. Paris Johnson Jr. will most likely be moving to left tackle after DJ Humphreys is probably let go after this year. I think Josh Jones may be a victim of the new regime not wanting to play to pay an old regime backup next year so the GM wanted to gain a draft pick. He continues, says, and this is long. If anyone's listening and bored, you can skip ahead, but I I think it's interesting to hear a Cardinals fan defend the moves the Cardinals are making. He says, one thing I disagree on is Kyler Murray. I think he definitely plays this year. The view of him coming, uh, the view of him is currently low. He has great talent and athletic ability, but coming off an injury that usually mentally... He has, what is this? What is he saying? He has a great talent and athletic ability, but is coming off an injury that usually mentally stifles athletic ability when it heals due to the trauma of said injury. He's stigmatized. Kyler is stigmatized as a short quarterback who doesn't watch film. His first and only playoff game so far ended with him pouting on the sideline and taking himself out of the game. If they're going to trade him, it's more profitable. He increases his trade value by playing, in my opinion. The staff is trying to win while the GM. Is trying to fill the void of quality players that Steve Keim left in his wake. It can't be done in one year, so I see it as they're doing they're trying their best with a crappy team they've inherited. Let me know your strong opinion on this take. Thanks for the content, Mahalo. That was very long Misael, but uh here's what I'll recap and say. I like Josh Jobs over Colt McCoy. That was a good move. Uh although I understand trading for players. Uh I under trading away a player that is just going to leave in free agency is a good move because you're going to get something in return for them instead of them walking away. But I don't know that getting a seventh-round pick for Isaiah Simmons is exactly accumulating good draft picks. It's something, but a seventh-round pick for Isaiah Simmons who has potential is kind of weird. Um, If Kyler Murray plays badly, it's going to hurt his trade value, which I would argue there's not going to be a lot of demand for Kyler Murray anyway. This offseason, not very many teams are going to need a quarterback after this year. You know, trade demand is low. Maybe Minnesota, maybe Tampa would want him. You can maybe, you know, try to get those two teams to bid against each other. But I think it's really risky to play Kyler Murray because if he plays bad, it's going to really hurt his trade value and you're going to get nothing for him. So um, I hear what you're saying, Misael, but um, I, I'm not real confident in Arizona this year. And I, I think they're tanking. I you know, you you may not like what I have to say. Uh I guess you're right. The, the Josh Dobbs move is them getting a more competent quarterback, um trading away the players they did was to accumulate draft picks. I understand that as well. They didn't want to pay either of them and keep them long term. But we really disagree about Kyler Murray. I'd I'd be surprised. I, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I don't know what to make of Kyler Murray playing. It doesn't feel like he's gonna play and It would be unfortunate if Arizona played Kyler Murray this year and then he was a huge dud and hurt his trade value. Nick Flames right in said, what's up, Zach Attack? I love that. Again, that's a nickname my mom gave me, Zach Attack, when I was a young child running around being chaotic. I like that. Uh, Steve Flames, three, four, five, says, what's up, Zach Attack? Just wondering what you think of Bryce Young. As a Panthers fan, I think his preseason has shown everything I could ask for. Timing, touch, good decision making. And crafty in the pocket elusiveness. It just makes every play a little bit more likely to work. My question is, do you think he can elevate the wide receivers in Carolina? Adam Thielen is solid, but nothing special. DJ Chark is mainly a deep threat. And Mingo is a raw rookie who does boast a six foot four frame, four speed, and a forty inch vertical with a steel trap for hands, but he's raw and really only has two years, two gears of speed. His route running is a question, so he's unproven. I think he has the talent to be number one in year uh, in a year or two, but that's a gamble at best. My main question is, do you think the supporting cast is good enough for Bryce Young to show off his high-level playmaking skills? Um, here's the thing, first of all. Playmakers don't need help to make plays. Um, Brock Purdy needs help. Brock Purdy needs people to make big plays after he throws them the football. If Bryce Young is a playmaker, he should be able to make plays without a ton of help. They've got a good offensive line, though, in Carolina. They've got good coaches, solid running backs, solid receivers. That's enough help to me. I think of all the rookie quarterbacks, Bryce Young's going to have the best rookie year and might even win rookie of the year. What he can do off schedule is huge. So if the defense makes the right play call, similar to Patrick Mahomes, right? They make the right play call. They play great coverage. No one's open. Bryce Young is in the pocket. He can extend plays and run until receivers come open and create passing lanes that weren't there before. He can make the defense wrong with his athletic ability. So yeah, he does. He's a he's a playmaker, and he's got good enough people around him. I have no concerns about Bryce Young, Nick uh, Nick Flames. He's going to be awesome this year, and I really believe in Bryce Young. Joshua writes in and says, Hey Zach, after watching Week One and looking at the schedule, I see Colorado going nine and three with the only three losses being Oregon. USC, and Utah. Do you believe I'm right, or where do you see Colorado being at the end of the year? I'll put it this way, Joshua. There are nine games on Colorado's schedule I 100% know they can win. Can win is different than will win, but there are nine games they can win for sure. The USC game, the Utah game, and the Oregon game, I go, we'll find out. They're playing really good football teams. I'm not sure. I think Colorado's really good, and I think they can hang with those teams, but um man, it's possible they go nine and three and, and their only three losses are those games. I think it's even possible they steal a win from one of those teams, if not more than just one. So I am really, really confident in Colorado. I agree with you. They're gonna be awesome. And uh Coach Prime has my respect and my confidence. All right, um, let's end the show this way. This weekend, there's a couple really big college football games I want to acknowledge. Then we'll talk about the NFL games that are really big. But first, there are one, two, three, four, five college football games that I think are outstanding. First of all, you've got Nebraska at number 22 Colorado. It's a border rivalry. Colorado's coming off of that massive victory over TCU. And Matt Rule, the new head coach at Nebraska, talked a lot of smack about Deion Sanders and his way of doing things at Colorado. Guys, I think Colorado could win by a lot in this football game. They've got more talent than Nebraska. Nebraska's not a very good football team. Um, and I, I think Colorado is a heavy favorite here that's going to win by a lot. Even if they don't, I think they win. And it's going to be a really meaningful, interesting game in Boulder. The other game, if it weren't for Colorado being a great story, this would be the number one game in college football. But to me, Nebraska-Colorado is more interesting But number 11, Texas plays at number three, Alabama. For the majority of people, this is the number one game in college football this weekend. Um, It's just going to be fascinating. Last year, Texas, I thought, had Alabama. Until Quinn Ewers got hurt, I thought Texas was going to win this football game. Um, Now it's a rematch in Tuscaloosa. It's going to be incredible. Steve Sarkeesian, a former Nick Saban assistant against Nick Saban. I heard a great quote from Steve Sarkeesian. He was asked, how do you feel about the record? Nick Saban usually beats his former assistants when he plays them. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian said, well, "What about the other coaches? How many? What's the record of other coaches against Nick Saban? Either like Nick Saban just wins almost every game. It's not like it's some crazy thing that, to lose against Nick Saban. So, um, or, or some rare thing, I guess, is what he was trying to say. I'm rooting for uh, Texas. I think it'd be really cool to watch Texas knock off Alabama at Alabama." Gives me similar vibes to when Johnny Menzel and Texas A&M went to Tuscaloosa back in the day. It's going to be interesting. All I really hope for, though, is a good game, like really competitive, really good that comes down to the wire. That would be awesome. Number 19, Wisconsin plays at Washington State in Pullman. Uh, I said it earlier on the show Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward. Learn the name. I've been talking about him since last year. He is incredible. And I am hoping this is the game that allows Cameron Ward to get national attention because he deserves it. He's an incredible player. He should be on SportsCenter. He should be on ESPN. I hope he makes a bunch of big plays and grabs people's attention because he is a really, really good and a high-level playmaker in college football. Number 13, Oregon plays at Texas Tech. It's interesting for this one fact. Oregon's going to play against their old quarterback, Tyler Shaw, who transferred out a couple of years ago now um Tyler Shaw playing against his former team Oregon and Oregon's a number 13 ranked team in the country by the way Texas Tech just had a horrible loss on the road at Wyoming in double overtime Oregon's coming off of an 81 to 7 victory over Portland State I yeah I think Oregon wins probably easily but I would also be curious because Texas Tech got embarrassed last weekend I would think they want to respond with a much better game than last week and make a statement that they're not garbage so um we'll see what they do And then another game, I don't know much about this game, to be honest, but number 23, Texas A&M plays on the road at Miami. That's a big game. It's just a a top 25 team. Texas A&M, that's a big, big football program. At Miami, another big football program. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to watch it, but I'm definitely going to be like, what's the score? What's happening in that game? It's notable because of the programs involved. Let's talk about the NFL this week. Uh, There are 15 more games to be played during NFL Week 1. Remember, Detroit just beat Kansas City in the season opener on Thursday night. I am not going to—this is not a prediction. This is not really even a full preview. It's just me sharing the interesting thing about each game that grabs my attention. So the first game I want to talk about, Panthers at Atlanta. It's number one overall pick. Bryce Young against new starting quarterback in Atlanta, Desmond Ritter. It's going to be fun and interesting to learn about these two young quarterbacks and how they play in this football game. Bengals at Cleveland is a fantastic game. It's a massive game for Cleveland because I think Cleveland's really good this year. And them beating Joe Burrow week one would be fantastic for them. Um, The story, though, is Deshaun Watson. What does Deshaun Watson look like? He's been in the system for a year in Cleveland. Last time he played a full season in 2020, he was phenomenal. And uh, I am really interested to watch Deshaun Watson on Sunday. Jaguars and Indy's really interesting. The Jaguars should win. They've got a better football team. They were a playoff team last year. They've got Trevor Lawrence. Calvin Ridley's going to be interesting to watch. The new receiver in Jacksonville. But I'm also interested in... I think the Colts lose because it's their first game with a rookie quarterback. That's just a brutal way to start your career against a former playoff team. But... Um, It's the first game for Anthony Richardson in a Colts uniform in the regular season. I can't wait to watch and see how he does this weekend. Um, Again, I think he's going to be a roller coaster. Really good at times, really bad at times, but he's also supremely talented and I think could make a difference running the football against Jacksonville. Oh, and by the way, um, I want to watch the Jaguars' number one overall pick from last year do something. Trevon Walker did basically nothing last year in Jacksonville. This is an opportunity for him to grab my attention and say, hey, I was worthy of being the number one pick. We saw Aiden Hutchinson play great on Thursday uh, against Kansas City. Aiden Hutchinson was drafted after Travon Walker. Travon Walker has been underwhelming. And so let's see it, man. You got to be a great pass rusher. Let's find out Trevon Walker at Indy this weekend. Buccaneers at Minnesota. Um, I know what Minnesota is. I've seen them a lot. But what I don't know is anything about Tampa, meaning like I don't know what to expect from them. They've got some good pieces on paper, but it's not Madden. I'm really curious to see how Baker Mayfield plays, a new quarterback in Tampa. I just don't know what to expect. It's like a weird science experiment. I can't wait to see it. The Titans at New Orleans, the Saints should win. And if the Saints don't win, it should be a problem. Let's just say that. Um, The Titans have a horrible offensive line. They've got an aging quarterback, an aging receiver, an aging running back. Um, I love their head coach. I respect him a lot. But the Saints should win this football game easily. 49ers at Pittsburgh is really interesting. Brock Purdy against, you know, a really good Steelers defense led by T.J. Watt, one of the premier pass rushers in football. By the way, T.J. Watt and Nick Bosa are both playing in this football game, two of the best pass rushers in all the NFL. Um, And we get to watch Kenny Pickett, who I think is going to have a really good second year in the NFL this year. Can't wait to see that. Cardinals at Washington is interesting. I think the Cardinals are horrible. Washington should win, but we get to see Sam Howell, their new starting quarterback, play for the first time in the regular season uh, this year. He started a game or two last year, but it's different this year. New offensive system, higher expectations. He's named the starter. Let's see how Sam Howell does. He's got a great opportunity to start against a bad football team, which is a great way to start your career um, and start your tenure as the starting quarterback. He should get off on the right foot. I'm curious to see how Sam Howell does this weekend. Houston at Baltimore. Uh, I want to watch the Ravens, man. They got a new offensive coordinator. Lamar Jackson's fully healthy. They had a ton of changes. They basically got three new receivers. Rashad Bateman should be healthy. Odo Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers. Can't wait to watch the Ravens offense at home in Baltimore. I think they're going to look really good throwing the football And it's C.J. Stroud making his first ever NFL start, rookie quarterback. It's just going to be interesting for that fact alone. The Packers at Chicago, as I knock my table around, um, Jordan Love, Justin Fields, enough said. Both quarterbacks have a lot to prove. Justin Fields' ball location is questionable to me. Jordan Love is replacing Aaron Rodgers. That's a very difficult task. I can't wait to see what happens between these two quarterbacks week one. Raiders at Denver is interesting because Josh McDaniels, the Raiders head coach, is playing against his former team where he was once the head coach in Denver and was garbage there. But I have no idea what to expect from Russell Wilson working with Sean Payton, the new Broncos head coach. I worry it could be ugly. It's going to be interesting. It's like a science experiment. Again, I don't know what's going to happen. Therefore, it's very fascinating. You got Philly on the road at New England. I expect Philly to win. Winning this game would be massive for the Patriots, beating the team that went to the Super Bowl last year, and Philly's got a loaded roster. A lot of pressure on Mac Jones, the Patriots' young quarterback. He's in year three in a new offense with Bill O'Brien. I am really fascinated to see how he plays week one. I expect him to be kind of boring and average against a really good football team. The Dolphins at L.A. against the Chargers is interesting because Miami's playing against the quarterback they passed on in the draft, Justin Herbert. And uh, winning and beating Justin Herbert would be massive for Miami quarterback to a tongue of a It's two really good football teams, two good quarterbacks, a lot of playmakers everywhere. This is a great game, Miami at L.A. It's going to be awesome. The Rams at Seattle, uh, I've got a lot of question marks uh, revolving around the Rams. I just don't know what to expect from them. Cooper Cup isn't playing. They've got a lot of young guys. Um, Seattle should win this football game. I would be honestly shocked if Seattle lost to the Rams week one. Sunday night football, the Giants host Dallas. So Dallas goes on the road to New York. It's a massive game. I think that the Cowboys should win. They've got more talent. They've got a scary good defense, but the Giants have better coaching. And coaching is sometimes everything. In the NFL, there's no insane mismatch where Alabama's playing against like a Portland State or anything like that. We saw Oregon State beat Portland State 81 to 7. The Cowboys are a little better, but it's not a mismatch to that kind of proportion. So coaching is huge, and it would be really, really funny to me if the Cowboys lost week one to Dallas. I think the Giants have a shot. I have the Cowboys winning in my official predictions, but I am rooting heavily for the Giants. It would be so cool to see them win. And finally, on Monday Night Football, huge game. Buffalo plays on the road at the Jets. Aaron Rodgers making his NFL debut for the first time in a regular season game playing in a Jets uniform and against a really tough opponent. Buffalo is a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. It's a huge game. It's a division rivalry game. I have concerns about the Bills' offensive line, and I'm really interested to see how they match up against a really good Jets defense. This game, it's monumental, and uh, it'll be— the talk of the town Tuesday morning, man. Everyone's going to be talking about how Aaron Rodgers did, whether it's good or bad. And uh, I frankly can't wait to see what happens on Monday night football between Buffalo and the Jets. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. hope you have a great day. I'm going to watch film uh, and, well, actually not film watching. is done. I've got one more game to watch of Kenny Pickett. Basically, I feel like I know everything. One more game to watch. Then I got to write and record a film analysis video. I am hoping and praying I can get it done tomorrow so I can enjoy college football Saturday without having to edit and worry about other stuff. Uh, so I'm going to put this out. I hope you enjoyed the season opener, the NFL season. It was incredible to me. Watching Jared Goff beat Patrick Mahomes and watching the Lions win in a really tense game, one that I was sweating the entire time, really nervous, really on edge, hoping the team I wanted to win would win. It was awesome. And I can acknowledge... Having a fantasy football team, having players playing in that game made me a different level of engaged than I've been before with NFL games. I'm always super into it, but I can understand now a little more that people that play fantasy football pay a different type of attention when your players are playing. And that's pretty cool. I I think I understand fantasy football like 5% more now after this football game. And that's pretty cool. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you on, I think Sunday we'll talk next. I'm going to do an episode. Um about college football week two, Deion Sanders, Texas, Alabama. And you'll see me in the film analysis video that hopefully will come out Saturday. So I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day. And uh dum bum bam, love you. We are done.